The views, information, and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the athlete. When you win a lot, like over and over and over again, something happens. My mom and I coined a really funny term called streak stress. Streak stress, as in stress from being in the middle of a winning streak. This isn't the type of pressure a lot of people are familiar with. Basketball player Maya Moore had to name it because she kept leading her teams to win after win after win. Here we go again. And I'm like, I know, Mom, I'm sorry. More streak stress. Maya has been central to some of the longest streaks in the history of sports. And they started in high school. I remember my freshman year. Had an awesome season. And they continued in college. And you know, like, at some point, this is going to end. <laughs> but it doesn't need to be this, this game. And they have followed her to the pros. 1.7 to go in the fourth. Four will get it off. The shot is good! Game three belongs to Maya Moore and Minnesota! Next thing I know, my teammates are tackling me and at center court, and I'm just smiling. If there's one indisputable fact about Maya Moore, it's that she almost always wins. And when you win, it puts you in the public eye. And what you do with that kind of attention depends on your character. For Maya, there's a specific victory she's working towards. And it's far away from the basketball court. Hello, this is a free call from... Jonathan Irons. An offender at the Jefferson City Correctional Center. You may start the conversation now. Hello. How a basketball player synonymous with winning found purpose helping others win off the court. From Nike, this is the Phenom Effect, where athletes' stories progress beyond the field of play. When you watch Maya Moore play basketball, she's always moving. It makes her almost impossible to defend. Cutting Maya Moore finds some space. A nice improvised play there by Maya Malinx. This constant movement is part of her foundation. As a kid, she moved from state to state to state. I went to four different middle schools. So I was the, I was the, the, the tall black girl with big feet four different times. <laughs> In middle school, which you can imagine was fun. Her mom was a single parent, and they moved throughout the Southeast whenever she had to relocate for work. First for a phone company, and then for a bank. And my mom, I think, raising me as a single parent, unknowingly modeled for me what it means to show up every day. Um, and just go to work, go to school, and, and you just you just show up. Maya found solace in basketball. Before long, pictures of athletes were plastered all over her room. Some of my earliest memories of my bedroom were posters of the Houston Comets and the Sparks, um, Lisa Leslie, Cynthia Cooper, Cheryl Swoops, Teresa Weatherspoon. These women were the pioneers of the WNBA. They were role models for young girls like Maya. Maya practiced all the time. When game time came, she rarely lost. 
During high school, Maya led her team to 125 wins and just three losses. She became the most highly recruited girls basketball player in the country. I was basically like a pro in high school, just the amount of stuff I was doing. It was just unbelievable with the tournaments and the media and just like magazines and national tournaments and rankings and interviews. It's during this time between high school and college that she meets a person who would inspire a totally new vision of what it means to help others. His name is Jonathan Irons. He's an inmate at the Jefferson City Correctional Center in Missouri. Her godparents, Sherry and Reggie Williams, made the introduction. They were involved in prison ministry, and over time, Maya began to learn about the details of Jonathan's case through her family. She was immediately drawn to his story. The two met and developed a friendship. There's so many things that went wrong in his case. Maya says Jonathan ran into trouble growing up on the outskirts of St. Louis. His parents weren't around, he'd gotten involved with gangs, and was on the police's radar. Then in 1997, there was a non-fatal shooting and robbery of a homeowner. Jonathan became the main suspect. So Jonathan, when he was 16 years old, was picked up um, for an attempted robbery at a man's house um, in in the neighborhood where he was around at the time. Jonathan and witnesses contend he was blocks away from where it happened. And Maya adds that no physical evidence links him to the crime, including fingerprints, footprints, or DNA. Jonathan pleaded not guilty to the robbery and the shooting and maintains his innocence to this day. But the prosecution secured a conviction. Well, initially, uh, when the judge, you know, told me the sentence, I didn't understand, you know, what the judge was saying. I heard basically like on Charlie Brown, wah, 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 so many years. He got sentenced to 65 years uh, for a non-fatal robbery. Um, He was 16 years old, um, being tried as an adult. Jonathan was sent to the Missouri State Penitentiary, a maximum security institution. It was a really scary place. My first night, I remember hearing people holler and scream, and I didn't sleep much that night because... Every time I started to go to sleep, they had bars on the doors. And every time I started to go to sleep, somebody would come by with a flashlight shining in my face, and I'd wake up instantly any time I heard somebody walk by my door. It was, uh, I think I think that was probably the worst, the worst night of my entire life. The state closed the Missouri State Penitentiary in 2004 and replaced it with the Jefferson City Correctional Center, where Maya met Jonathan. That was my first time going to a prison um, that summer. I was expecting her to, you know, to be afraid of me and uh, be judgmental. And, uh, and I, just, I just wasn't expecting her to, you know, to be so humble and, and, and kind. But he was just alive and just really en- engaging and really smart and just somebody that was a light. And I was just really encouraged to see his life um, in, in a place of death. She made me feel human, which in here, you don't, you don't get an opportunity to feel like that a lot here. We played a game of checkers, and uh, I, I, I beat him. <sighs> yeah. 
Yeah, she, uh, <laughs> yeah, she, she, we played checkers. I, I was talking trash, you know, beforehand. And then I wouldn't play him again. So he's still pretty salty about me not ever playing him again in checkers. She took her little one win and took it, took it to the hills and hadn't played me. In 10 years, I still haven't got a rematch. She, she refuses. She just lets me sit in it, sit in the feet. <laughs> Maya left the prison that day with a new, sobering view of the world, but also inspired by Jonathan's character. During this time, Maya was a teenager whose life centered around basketball. She'd just committed to play for a legendary college basketball program at UConn, the University of Connecticut. She led the team in scoring her freshman year. In her sophomore year, streak stress appeared in full. It was kind of nuts at times. And so you try to balance yourself with, this isn't normal. I know this isn't going to last forever, but we're going to try to make this last as long as we can and win as many games as we can. Maya and UConn kept on winning. 20 games, then 30 games, then a national title. Pretty soon the team is at the White House, shooting hoops with then-President Obama. We're playing pig, right? Hey, I'm behind you. We're all doing this in our 20s. Like, really? This is a recipe for some craziness. Her junior year was more of the same. 40 games, 50 games, 60 games, then another national title. And they're at the White House, again. Congratulations to the Yukon Huskies on your second straight undefeated season and your second straight NCAA championship. While all of this was happening to Maya, Jonathan was cheering on his friend. Maya's family had essentially adopted him, and he watched what he could inside the prison. It gave me something to focus on outside of here, just everything that goes on here, and uh, something that, that I could connect to. and I could actually see on TV, you know, just so like, hey, I know her. Um, it, uh, it inspired me. During her senior year, the pressure to win started to wear on Maya and the team. They'd just won their 90th straight game. That's when they found themselves traveling out west to try and extend it further against another powerhouse, Stanford. Also the last team to beat them 90 games ago. And we were at Stanford going to the west coast and I think the pressure was getting, you know, we could feel the pressure. We just wanted it so bad. But Stanford wanted to break it just as bad. The Cardinal had a powerful collection of players who focused on shutting down Maya from the start. They held her scoreless for the first 17 minutes of the game, something that had rarely happened to Maya. And they played great. Stanford locked us down on defense, played real physical. And, um, you know, they were in their home gyms. They were all hyped up. Toward the end, I just started to get a numb feeling um, of just disappointment, you know. Um, didn't, didn't stop playing, but just the emotion of it all just gripped me as, as the leader of that team. After two years, one month, 
and 14 days of nonstop victory, Maya and Yukon tasted defeat. The team was shocked. Tears were flowing in the locker room. Remember, Maya hadn't lost a game in years. Uh, and then when the streak ends, it's like the world ends and you feel terrible. And then it's like, oh, well, I got to go to class. It's in moments of defeat when a person can step back, pause, and reflect on the loss. Maya finally had a chance to do that. Jonathan Irons can relate to this. You know, if you get knocked back down, you get down, you get back up. You don't, you, you never just settle for that. And you don't give up. You just keep going. Because everybody, everybody, everybody is going to have experience a loss at some point. And it can be heartbreaking, especially if you're passionate about it. The win streak helped Maya realize that success starts slowly, game by game, one day at a time. It's a lesson that would stick with her. After Maya played her final college basketball game in 2011, it was time to go pro. And that's when one of the greatest basketball players of all time contacted her. Uh, my agent informed me that uh, the Jordan brand was interested, and I said, I'm sorry, what? Michael Jordan's interested in signing me to his brand. Huh. Let's talk about this. <laughs> Jordan asked Maya to become the first female basketball player to sign with his brand. The two met in person. I'm a 21-year-old kid, like, think, you know, listening almost like in a yes sir kind of way, but also understanding I have value and I'm going to bring so much. Maya knew what she could do on the court. And this is the point where she started to transform from a collegiate star to a basketball legend. So I graduate college, <laughs> sign on with the Jordan brand get drafted number one, go to Minnesota, excited to be a pro, surrounded by really great players, great coaching staff, and we kill it. We win a WNBA title in my rookie year. It was unbelievable. Maya became a perennial all-star. She won a total of four WNBA championships and two Olympic gold medals. And then Jordan decided to make her the face of the New Wings campaign. You might remember this poster from the 80s. It's a black and white landscape photo of Jordan with his arms outstretched, palming a ball in one hand. Uh, I don't know. There's something about that image, about that pose of just your arms out and you just taking up space and your presence of I'm flying, I'm moving, I am alive and expressing everything in me that's and put in me to be great. And this time, instead of a male athlete in the center, there stood Maya in this iconic pose. It was huge, and people freaked out. <laughs> like, everyone lost their minds when the Wings campaign came out, and, um, and to see little girls especially be able to see a female face that they can look up to um, and be inspired by, whether they're playing basketball or not. So on the basketball court, this period of time was incredible for Maya. She was winning championships, getting endorsement deals, and beginning to transcend the game. And yet, 
She knew success is shallow if you don't use it to change the world. Three days in July of 2016 shook the country to its core. Three tragedies in a row. The police shooting that killed Alton Sterling in Louisiana, the shooting of multiple police officers in Dallas, and then another police shooting that ended in the death of Philando Castile, just outside Minneapolis, where Maya plays. There were videos from all these events posted online. We're at a point in our society where technology allows us to see a lot more. And so when you see things, it becomes more real to you. People are upset and and still facts are trying to be found out, but we know enough to know this isn't right and we have a problem in our country. Maya embraced this moment to speak up, but athletes can take heat when they talk about issues off the court. You know, people aren't, everyone is not going to like what we say. She knew there was a risk. It didn't stop her. On July 9th, 2016, Maya and her teammates on the Minnesota Lynx called a press conference before their game. Nearly every media organization in the Minneapolis area showed up. Yeah, I remember going to the game that day, knowing what we were about to do. We had come up with the messaging that we thought was thoughtful and helpful. She was confident with all those years of winning and wanting to do right by Jonathan. Her fellow co-captain, Lindsay Whalen, recalls this exact moment. Um, we decided that, you know, we wanted to, you know, like take a stand and, and say that change starts with us. We're in the locker room trying to keep it normal as much as possible, but in the back of our minds, we know we're about to have this moment. It was something we all felt really strongly and passionately about. And so walking into the press conference, we had a ton of cameras and people there. Maya and her fellow captains stood behind a long conference table, microphones in front of each of their seats. They wore black T-shirts with Change Starts With Us across the front. And when it was Maya's turn to speak, she leaned down into the microphone and issued a challenge. Can we as a community especially our leaders, have accountability in owning our weaknesses and really humble ourselves to realize the conviction that we must improve the realities of justice, freedom, and safety for all people. She closed her remarks with a message that had been evolving in her mind ever since she met Jonathan. It was a call for the way we think about justice. We as a nation can decide to stand up for what is right, no matter your race, background, or social status. It is time that we take a deep look at our ability to be compassionate and empathetic to those suffering from the problems that are deep within our society. Again, this is a human issue, and we need to speak out for change together. Thank you. Just like Maya expected, not everyone listening approved. Four off-duty police officers working security at the Lynx game that night walked off the job in protest. And the local police union president later criticized the players in the local media and mocked the team's attendance numbers. It's hard when, when you have power and your power is being looked at or threatened or questioned. And so you see a natural reaction to be offended or to lash out. But Maya couldn't dwell on it. I honestly can't tell you the details of that game because I just remember 
that day being about the change starting with us and that message. Um, but I have a feeling we won that game. We didn't lose that many home games. Outlet left side, it's Maya. Stops, pops on a three, got it! They First did win, the of Minnesota course. Give Maya seven. It is 43-13, Lynx on top by 30. I think it was a turning point for me, um, giving me confidence to use my voice to speak about things that matter. Speaking out at that press conference sharpened her focus on securing freedom for Jonathan Irons. Like if somebody like that cares, like that's, that's so amazing. And like even my friends here, they know about it. You know, they, they, they're constantly telling me and reminding me how blessed I am. And, and like, you know, just keep going, man. It's almost over. Just keep pushing. Don't give up. Don't give up. You know, stay focused. That's, uh, that's, that's like, that's like, it's like giving water to a man that is thirsting out in the desert, having help like that. Maya is also dreaming about something bigger. She wants to make sure that what happened to Jonathan doesn't keep happening. She feels so strongly about it, she started a nonprofit called Win With Justice. The mission is to educate people on the role prosecutors play in our criminal justice system. I have a lot of respect for what prosecutors do and the, and the role and the power that they can use to make sure our communities can be as healthy as possible. The goal is to increase accountability and fairness in our criminal justice system. Such reform is a massive undertaking, but Maya might be the perfect person to help do this. She has proven again and again that she can handle pressure, and she knows that victories start slowly, case by case, and then build upon themselves. We want to redefine what is winning look like in our justice system because it's been really superficial in some ways, especially toward people of color. Jonathan has seen this momentum build firsthand with fellow inmates who have been exonerated. I saw Ryan Ferguson walk out. I saw Daryl Burton walk out there. I seen, I saw Josh Keezer, George Allen, David Robinson. You have one minute left. Okay, I gotta go. I got one minute. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, bye-bye. When Maya moved back home after college, she first visited the King Center in Atlanta, a site dedicated to the life of Martin Luther King Jr. And it's there she returns today for grounding. It's a place that um, it can be heavy, absolutely, to, to walk through and to think about, but it also can give you a lot of hope. She walks slowly through the center on this day. Speeches by Martin Luther King Jr. play in the background. Maya pauses in front of the eternal flame. The sunlight shines down on her face. She takes a breath. She watches the fire flicker in the cauldron. The eternal flame is here to remind people that Dr. King's vision requires constant work. I remember walking by the eternal flame the first time I visited the King Center and, and just to think how much has changed in me since the last time I was here of... The dream lives, the legacy continues, and the role that I'm able to play in that legacy and try to use my platform to continue the legacy of caring about people. Jonathan Irons remains in prison. His freedom is still the one victory Maya wants the most. 
She's working hard to make it happen, helping to file a petition for his release. Maya says when he's freed, it will truly be one of the greatest victories. And from her experience, one win can lead to many more. Next week on The Phenom Effect, snowboarder Chloe Kim. The thing that is always pushing me is like, I'm surrounded by such amazing snowboarders and like I ride with the guys a lot and they're always doing the craziest things like doing double corks like 1440s. And then I'm like, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Olympic gold medalist Chloe Kim on pushing the boundaries of her sport. The Phenom Effect is a production of Nike. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe. Let us know what you think by leaving a review. Learn more about Maya's work and how you can help Jonathan at winwithjustice.org. This episode was produced by Bradley Campbell, with help from producers Megan Cunane, Carrie Ann Thomas, Emily Foreman, James Green, and Rachel Ward. Abby Ruzika is our senior producer. Andrea B. Scott is our editor. Additional editing by Renita Jablonski. Research and fact-checking by Andrew Helms. Recording by Josh Millman. This episode was mixed by Katherine Anderson, with additional mixing by Keegan Zemma and Ian Scott. Our theme music is by Claus. Special thanks to the Barack Obama Presidential Library and the King Center. Executive Creative Direction by Amber Rushton. Thanks for listening.